so good to see you all. Got some smiles, morning. Here we go. How are we doing this morning? We well? You're in good singing voice this morning? So great to be here. Hey, we're journeying through the Gospel of John. I love this. I love this slide. So awesome. We're journeying, we're journeying through the Gospel of John. And, and if you have missed out, if you've been somewhere uh, over the last three weeks and miss it, uh, missed out, I hope it was somewhere great and hot and wonderful because you have missed out in terms of Sunday services. As Nick has been taking us through John chapter 1, just the richest, most incredible descriptions of Jesus. And today we begin a little seven-week uh, mini-series in this Gospel of John um, from chapter 2 around Jesus, Savior of the world. And as we begin in John chapter 2 this morning, we see that Jesus ministers in, in, in Cana in Galilee, a place of the Gentiles, a place of non-Jews. And it reminds us as Jesus begins ministry there that the good news about Jesus is about every nation being able to believe, every nation being able to respond. When we see the church at the end in Revelation, it is made up of people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so we, we begin to learn that Jesus is the savior, not of one nation or one group of people or, or people from one type of background, but of the, the savior of the entire world. And today we begin in chapter two with when that moment, probably the most famous miracle of all, when Jesus turns water into wine. I wonder why it's the most famous. I wonder if it's because it's the one we'd most like to replicate. You know, it's like, imagine if we could do that, just water from the tap, incredible vintage. Like, you don't even have to drive over the hill to Martinborough. You can just produce it in your kitchen. So great. But as, but as we go into this, I want to sow a little thought in us. Because if you have become a follower of Jesus, you have come to believe in the God who created all things and continues by his powerful word to sustain all things and will one day bring history itself to a conclusion. He's, he is in all and over all and through all. And yet in our society, in this nation, the narrative is so, so secular. It, it, can, it can numb people into this um, into this place where we don't expect God to move at all. It can numb us into this place where we're almost embarrassed when somebody is sick to offer to pray for them. It can numb us into this thing of, we assume that once we've looked at Met Service and the weather for the day has been announced, that that is how it's going to be because that's what the mathematical models say. And God can have no say in it now. The next 10-day forecast is just set in stone. It's just not the case. And I see this sort of narrative in our society creeping into the church. And I believe this passage today provides a really timely word. And the reason is because we have a brave vision as a church. Okay, we're not playing safe. We want to see this entire region, this city, dramatically impacted forever by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not a vision that we can attain in our own strength. We could learn all we wanted. We could get all the experience we wanted. And we would not even scratch the surface of the ambitions we've set as a church. What we rely on is the power and the presence of God. And therefore, we must be a church that don't just buy into the secular narrative 
of our nation, but rather trust in the God who is able today to do the extraordinary and in doing so reveal his glory. So with all that in mind, would you join me in John chapter 2? If you've got a paper Bible, you can turn there. You can open up your device if you've got a Bible app. Uh, It's no less holy, or you can just read it on the screen. All options available. Should we read together? John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from between 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who, uh, who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till last. Probably a Hawke's Bay Sarah. What Jesus did here, I mean it must be New Zealand wine, come on. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that in these moments we don't gather around the opinion of a person or the ideas of our day. God, we gather around your word, this book inspired by God. And I pray, God, that today by your Holy Spirit that you would do something extraordinary, that you would do something unexplainable as you uh, teach us about you. Reveal Jesus through the pages of this book this morning, God. Reveal Jesus in these moments that we might love you more, that we'd live our lives lives more in line with you and that we might see you do extraordinary things in our day to your glory forever and ever we pray in Jesus name amen come on more people need to say amen more people need to say I believe it I believe it do it Jesus this morning come on John's agenda in 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 writing his gospel is to reveal Jesus And it's something that comes through so clearly in chapter 1. You know, in chapter 1, Nick over three weeks barely scratched the surface, such as the depth of that chapter. Son of man, son of God, lamb of God, word at the beginning. And you can begin then in chapter 2 to see as we begin to hear of miracles and we begin to hear of Jesus' teaching and his interaction with people. We can begin to think that John has turned a corner. But I want you to see that he is always, throughout his whole gospel, pointing to significance. He's pointing to Jesus in such a way that he wants to see Jesus revealed. And so this is what we see when we read again verse 3 of chapter 2. When when, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. See, when Jesus turns around and he says, Uh, You know, Mary said, there's no more wine. And he says, why do you involve me? The depth of that phrase is lost in the English language. The depth of that phrase is, woman, that issue is from another realm. And, and, 
And then when it comes to my hour has not yet come, whenever in John's gospel it says my hour, it's always referring to, you know, my hour has not yet come. And then there comes a moment when the hour has come. And it is always referring to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. The moment where he would ultimately bow to the will of his heavenly father. And so in this moment, Jesus is saying that while he honors Mary as his earthly mother, there's a different agenda and that he needs to bow to his heavenly father and his heavenly father's heavenly agenda at every turn. Can you see that he hasn't changed? In chapter 1, he's, he's trying to reveal Jesus. And even here, he's revealing that in chapter 1, Jesus is more significant than John the Baptist. Now chapter 2, we turn into sort of narrative and story. And yet he's now saying, hey, guys, I want you to know Jesus is more important, more significant than Mary. In John's gospel, Mary now disappears into the background and doesn't appear again until the crucifixion. Notice Mary's response. Do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. He's in charge. He's the important one. Listen to him. The other thing I love about this passage is that it's just rich with with pointers to the cross. And we've noted the word hour that alludes that way as well. But here's a miracle that Jesus performs with stone water jars used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. They dipped their hands in there on a daily basis and they'd, they'd wash. And it was a picture of the fact that they were unclean and they needed this daily washing before God. And Jesus fills it with this incredible... Uh, does this incredible miracle that's then able to be used as part of celebration in this moment. It's also probably an allusion to the fact that, you know, we now celebrate with similar substance as we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he does this miracle on the third day. It's the first words we read this morning. And the ridiculous thing is, you can try and do the maths through John chapter 1. Okay, what's, where was the first day? Where was the second day? There's about four different days mentioned in John chapter 1. And it reminds us that John's not really interested in chronology. He's not really interested in whether it works in his gospel over can you journey from here to there and and what day's which. He's all about significance. He's all about pointing to Jesus. And so when he says the third day, this is a rich term for us because it's the day upon which Jesus rose to resurrection, glorious, never to die again life. So when he says hour, when he says third day, when this miracle involves ceremonial washing jars, it's all pointing to the cross. It's all John saying, Jesus' life and ministry, as you read about it, never forget it is carried out under the shadow of the impending cross. That was what he truly came for. And it reminds us as a church that we carry out what we do, not necessarily in the shadow of the cross, but in light of his resurrection. But that's not what this passage is really about. These are just secondary issues, and they're cool. Like I love them so much, and I wanted to make sure you, you got a glimpse of that this morning. But it's not what this passage is about. And this passage is about a miracle. This passage is about something that Jesus did with ordinary things at an ordinary, everyday thing, a wedding feast. And I've, I don't know about you, but I've looked at this in the past and gone, why, why is this so significant? Why does John record this one? I mean, nobody's sick. Nobody's dying. There's no storm coming that's going to cause some sort of catastrophe. Why point out this? Because no other gospel does it. 
And again, it has to do with John's agenda in always wanting to reveal the significance of Jesus. Look at this, verse 11. We've read it already. We're going to read it again this morning. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs, of the indications, of the pointers through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see, it's a moment of significance. It's a moment where, where, where he's pointing to the presence and the power of God revealed. What Jesus did here was the first of the signs. There was an expectation in John's day that the Messiah would do miraculous signs. Would do incredible, extraordinary things that are unexplainable. And so, in, in chapter 1, he's been saying, look, this is what I see in Jesus. And, and this is what John the Baptist saw in Jesus. But if you don't even have to take my words for it. Look at him. Just look at the things he does. Can you not see in what he does that he was the Messiah? God's chosen one. God's anointed. I don't have time to unpack Messiah this morning. That's, Nick did that uh, last week and you can check out that online. But there's another thing, another thing that this miracle is pointing to. It's not just that Jesus is the Messiah and that we have life in his name. It's that it's an indication of glory. Glory is a rich term in the Bible. And in the Old Testament, it most frequently returns to moments where the presence and the power of God was visibly seen. That had life-changing and tangible effects. When you go to Exodus, you find God's people, the Israelites, they've gone into um, Egypt as a family and they've become enslaved there. And God delivers them powerfully as a nation. And as they're escaping Egypt, Egypt suddenly changed their mind about, about letting them go and chases them down. And, and, and Israel, as they journey out of Egypt, are being led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And as the Egyptians chase them down, this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire move behind so that they, it provides this protective barrier between them and their enemies as God opens up the Red Sea before them and leads them again by this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. You know, light by direction by day and light by night through the wilderness, through the desert. And when they need feeding, God provides supernaturally bread out of heaven. And again, it is in the presence of this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire. And Moses in Exodus 16, as he looks at these things, he says, Israel, do you remember this cloud that led you? Do you remember this cloud that protected you? Do you see this cloud that is providing for you? That is the glory of God. That is the presence of And the power of God, visibly seen in tangible and life-changing ways. (coughs) And as John now sees Jesus begin to do these incredible miracles, he says, in the Old Testament, God appeared as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And what he did demonstrated his glory. Now that same God has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason we know about it is that these miracles are indications of exactly the same glory. Then when you go into the book of Acts, the, the very next book after, after the book of John in our Bible, and, and, it, and it's in reflection of the of Jesus now being raised to life, you get people who see that, witness that, going out and sharing, Jesus is alive. And those who believe gather together and the church is born. And in Acts, we see that Jesus, having been raised to life, now ascended into heaven, 
pours out the Holy Spirit, pours out the presence and the power of God in the life of every believer and in the gathering of the church. And what do we see in Acts? People healed. We see people raised to life. We see people released from prison. We see demons fleeing. And those signs are again, could only happen where the presence and the power of God resides and is revealed in tangible ways. The reason this is important is now track back to where I started today and the influence of the sort of secular narrative and the impact it has on the expectation of, of us as believers in our day. The God who appeared in the Old Testament. The God whose glory was revealed through the person of Jesus Christ and the things that he did. And those same signs appearing in the earlier church. I believe that we must have an expectation that God still wants to reveal his glory among humanity. Still wants to do it as a sign that points to him so that people would be drawn to him. I believe that the presence and power of God is here in the life of every believer and in the life of the church. And as such, we should expect these glimpses of glory these demonstrations that our God is alive and active and well and still revealing His glory. And so in the, just as this miracle was carried out in the ordinary events, using ordinary things like stone jars and water and jugs, so in the ordinary things of everyday life, we should expect glimpses of God's glory. Let me show you what I mean. Every week we gather in this room. We sing some songs and we have some notices. Once in a while we have a cool video. And somebody gets up and shares for 30 minutes. And then we sing a couple more songs. And then we go. Grab a coffee on the way out. Say hi to a friend. Just seems pretty ordinary, hey? Pretty every day. And the danger also is that I think some people are just getting bored with it. You're turning up and you think, what is the point? And yet, Just as through those ordinary things at Cana in Galilee, wine was produced. As you see the wine, you go, hold up, something was different there. Jesus, you must have done something. That was ordinary stuff, water, jars, jugs, wine. Doesn't make sense. Jesus, you've done something there. Just as as on that day. So as we gather and we sing songs and and we listen to a message out of the word, There is a fruit that comes out of it. There are stories that we hear week in, week out that demonstrate something's going on that is beyond the ordinary. You know, people come in with this sense of the thick, tangible presence of God. And they can't ignore it. And they make a decision in this room that they want to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. This morning in our 9 a.m. service, a precious lady called Jenna got baptized. She'd never even seen a baptism before. But six weeks ago on the 12th of March, she came into this place, experienced the presence of God, made a decision that has changed her life every day since that she wanted to follow Jesus. You see? You can't explain that in the, well, we just sing some songs and we hear a message and then we go home. Something different has happened. It's because God is present in the gathering of the church. And we, so we expect extraordinary things to come out of it. We hear of God speaking powerfully into people's situation, giving them a clarity over, over direction and, and the steps of faith they're to take. We hear of people arriving sick and leaving well. There was a guy, I remember two years ago, one of our interns was sat at the back. He was, he was in pain. He was suffering. 
And he just got up to take communion midway through the service. And as he walks forward, he suddenly realizes, I'm better. Like, how, does, how does that happen? People who come in in moments of despair, like they're hanging on to their faith by a thread. And they say, it's like that whole service was designed just for me. It was just what I needed to have the strength to take another step, to, to go another day. On the surface, our services can seem so ordinary. And yet these stories are like wine out of water moments. They demonstrate, they are, they are, they are proof that the power and presence of God is being revealed, that the glory of God, they're like glimpses of glory. You know, and it's not just limited to this room. You know, there are moments, it's relevant for every life group. It's relevant for mainly music. It's relevant for mums and bubs groups. It's relevant for any gathering of the church. And you know what I've discovered recently? It's not even about about just gathering as the church. You can take the church out into the community amongst unbelievers and God still reveals his glory there. You know, we've, we run life skills courses and on the surface, these just seem like ordinary things. They're just sort of like glorified self-help classes, you know? They just help people with practical skills to do life on low income. And yet because it's run through the community of the church, we take a group of believers and we go into a community center with ordinary everyday people and God shows up. And I would love to share with you some of the stories of, of, of transformation and a story of salvation that has come out of those basic groups. And yet I can't because some of those people are in our community of our church now. Some of those people come to services and I want them to share their own story when they get baptized. Is that Okay. But the stories that come out of those groups tell us that something more is going on. And what I've come to realize is that you can take the power and the presence of God in the community of the church, outside the walls of a church, into communities. And so as we think about multi-site, as we think about putting church locations throughout this city, you know, you need to understand that you, God might lead you to do something really ordinary. I heard of a lady recently at another church doing a craft group. God had led her, led her to, to, to start. This was like 10 years ago. And yet through it, many, many people have come to faith. Just an ordinary thing like a craft group. Is there something that ordinary that God might lay on your heart today just to do in the community? But, but, but you are mindful of the fact that you are taking the community of the church. And when people encounter the community of the church, they're able to access, to able to encounter the power and the presence of God and see glimpses of glory that might lead them to Christ. You know, it's not just about the gathering of the church. It's about you. It's about me. See, if you believe as a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God has been poured out upon you, then you are a carrier of the power and presence of God. So as we go from here today, this needs to influence how we see the ordinary uh, events in life. You know, we've moved to a new area because Jenny and I are going to lead this first uh, site away from, away from Harnier Street over on the peninsula. And, and, and Jenny said, look, I, w- I want to do some baking and I, wanna, I want us to take it to our neighbors just to introduce ourselves, say hi. And, uh, you know, we want to we start like we mean to go on. And so I'm like, okay, you do the baking because that would bless people more than my baking. And, you know, just a simple family walking down the street, knocking doors, hey, just, you know, we're new to the area, we want to bring some cookies, so introduce ourselves. Some of you live nearby and you're like, we don't get cookies. You know us. 
But you know, in the moments on the doorstep with, with guys around my area in particular, as they began to share their stories of brokenness and their stories of bereavement and their stories of despair and lost hope, in those precious first few moments, it made me realize my family and even just me As I go and meet people, I'm providing an opportunity for them to experience the power and the presence of God. I'm giving them the opportunity to see little glimpses of glory that I'm hoping continue to lead them towards Jesus. I believe God shows up in my finances. You know, when I was uh, 12, I started a paper round. I earned about £7.50 a week. My mum and dad taught me an important discipline. Simon, take 10% of that and put it aside. And give it, invest in the local church. Give the first fruits of what God has given you back to him. And I'm so grateful. You know, it felt a bit weird, like, here church, here's 75 pence, you know. I used to save it up in a box in my cupboard and take it all at once. But here's the thing. My mum and dad taught me such an important lesson. Simon, God is your provider. And as such, my whole life, I have expected glimpses of glory. I have expected God to show up in my finances. And there have been moments where we got stripped literally to nothing. So I'm not promising you prosperity, but I'm promising you the power and presence of God. And there are moments where we as a family have been stripped back to literally nothing. Our car needed a cam belt doing. And I phoned Jenny. I said, I've booked it in. I have no idea how we're going to pay for it. And I barely walked 10 minutes before somebody put $1,000 in my hand. See, what I want you to see is, this is not stuff I just made up this week. I didn't just read this passage and go, oh, that would be a cool thing to share with the church. This is life for me. This is life for my family. I expect the power and the presence of God to turn up in ordinary ways, in in, in ordinary things with dramatic and life-changing results. There was a moment where we got stripped literally back to nothing, savings gone, and a person turned up on our doorstep. I've never met them to that point, and I've never met them since with a Christmas hamper. They weren't even in the church. They weren't even Christians. God spoke to me in that moment and said, Simon, am I not able to bless you out of absolutely nothing? God doesn't need favorable circumstances to bring blessing and fruit and life into your everyday. Who's the God you've come to believe in? Because this is Jesus. Revealing throughout the pages of scripture his glory page after page. And I believe he is living and active and still wants to reveal glory in your everyday life right now. You know he's present in your workplace. He's able to help you as a parent. Just say, God, I have no idea what to do right now. Like there are moments as a parent, I have no idea what to do. Say, God, I need you. I believe God answers those prayers. I believe that God answers with an ability to learn and a skill in the workplace. And also, I want you to hear something. You know, some of you might say, how's this relevant in my workplace? I never get the opportunity to share about Jesus. Do you know what? We have this phrase, you know, actions speak louder than words. And often we see that as a, you know, oh, talk is easy and my actions need to line up with that. But in the workplace... In places where we can't so easily talk about faith, here it becomes an asset. 
Because people can, people can put rules in place to stop you talking about Jesus, but they cannot stop you living a life that points to him. And every single day, the Spirit of God is at work in your life to make you more like Jesus, to shape your attitudes, to shape your thoughts, to shape your words, to shape your actions, to shape your reactions, to, to adjust the way you see people and the way you care for people and the way you relate to people. And all of these things are like salt and light as you're present in that workplace. They make your life distinctive so it points to God. So it becomes attractive. Do you see? You, by, your very, by, by, by who God has made you, in whatever situation you are in, become this expression of the power and presence of God. And through that, we are to expect the extraordinary in the ordinary. You know, as you and I scatter from here in a few moments' time, I want you to imagine what it would be like if we as a church with the streets and the homes, with the families and the friendships, with the workplaces and schools, and every single relationship that is represented in this place, what would it look like if we scattered today with an expectation that God wants to reveal His glory in and through the church and in and through your life? Because I believe that the people around you are going to begin to see glimpses of glory. They're going to see a reality of faith that begins to make them say, That is unexplainable. I want to know the God that you have come to believe in. See, evangelism and discipleship aren't like mutually exclusive. As you become more like Jesus, as you understand more about him, you're becoming more effective in drawing people into the kingdom of God. There's a final point I want to make, and it's simply this. In this narrative we see people who probably saw the stone jars and the water and the jugs and the servants doing something and never really thought anything about it. There were people who just drank the wine, just saw the fruit of it, just heard the stories and they're like, cool, great wine. And never understood. But in verse 11 it says, and his disciples believed in him. The disciples saw what happened. They saw the extraordinary in the ordinary and they say, Jesus, you're the son of God. We're going to follow you. We trust you. We believe in you. Where next? And you know, you can be a, be a person who hears these stories and goes, go cool, wine. You can be a person who looks at church and goes, ordinary. Or you can be a person who sees the fruit and says, Jesus is present. I believe. What's the response for you today? Maybe it's that maybe it's that you've assessed too much as ordinary and haven't expected God to move. You've accepted the, 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 the secular narrative that God wants to restore faith in you today. God wants to restore a reality of a life in you today. Maybe today you're one of those people hanging on by a thread. You're like, God, I'm desperate for a glimpse of your glory. You know, I believe God is able to heal you, provide for you supernaturally in a moment right now. But I also believe he's able to bring peace where there is absolutely no reason for peace. He was able to bring a joy where happiness is a distant and forgotten memory. And that is not something that you can do any more than you can heal yourself or provide supernaturally for your situation. All of these things are a glimpse of his glory. And his one promise, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe today... You're somebody who's never believed in God. Do you know the greatest glimpse of God's glory was when God's one and only Son died 
on the cross for humanity and three days later was raised to life again so that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. Maybe the response for you today is to say, Jesus, I believe and I want to follow you. We stand. I want us to respond in worship. When we see glimpses of glory, the only rational, the only logical response is to say, you're awesome. <laughs> and to praise. But right now, I just want to pray for us. And uh, let's worship together. Would you pray with me? God, for those in this place hanging on by a thread, right now, would you minister powerfully? Right now, would you heal? Right now, would you provide? Right now, would you do what only you can do? Right now, would you provide peace and hope and joy where there is no logical reason, even that is a glimpse of your glory? God, I pray for, for those of us who have become numb to you and accepted a secular way of following you. God, I pray that you'd reveal something of yourself right now. A glimpse of you. That we might believe and begin to expect things that we cannot do by ourselves. And God, for those in this place who have not yet believed in you, God, give them the courage to ask questions of the people they came with. God, give them the courage to explore Jesus. And Lord, where we've come to that moment of saying, I believe, God, right now, we make a decision to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name today. Amen.